and uh, some of our folks are out delivering packages right now of food, so we got a few folks that are not here. But I uh, want to take just a brief moment in the service, and just in case you're not going to be able to join us on Tuesday, and give an opportunity for us to share some blessings. And so, uh, who wants to be first? Brother Keith? Amen. There you go. Amen. Speaking of Brother Keith preaching, am I okay to announce it? Uh, December the 12th, my daughter is graduating college, and I'm going to Florida, and I've asked Brother Keith to preach that night. It's a Wednesday night. So invite some friends, okay? And uh, you get a chance to hear him preach, and I'm looking forward to hearing good things from it. And uh, so he's probably going to be nervous now that we've announced it. So, But uh, let's be faithful. Uh, that will be on Wednesday, December the 12th, so I won't be here for that evening. So Brother Keith will be there. And uh, it would be helpful if we had somebody who's led music before that could lead music for him. Uh, so we'll just throw that out there in case anybody, in case anybody knows of anyone like that. So, But uh, anyway... Reagan's volunteering? No, I know someone. You know someone in the service? Okay. All right. I see. I see. So, all right. Any other blessings? Any other blessings? I am looking forward to hearing Brother Keith preach, though. And seriously, uh, do invite some folks to come out and be with you that night. It'll be a great night together. All right. Yes, ma'am. Miss Sandy? Amen. <laughs> Amen. 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 Praise the Lord for that. All right. Who else? We've got a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Brother Ron? Miss Jennifer? Amen. Amen. All right. Is that it? Anybody else? How many of you are thankful you're saved today? All right. <laughs> That's something we can rejoice in together. How many of you are thankful you woke up this morning? How many of you wish you were still sleeping? <laughs> Reagan. How many of you wish you were taking your Baptist nap right about now? So I was telling tell somebody after the service, uh, the first week we did this, it took a little getting used to. I was, I was really kind of like a fish out of water. 
Last week, I was okay. I was pretty comfortable doing it, but I kept referring to morning instead of evening or afternoon. And um, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, I did have one person mention that they in, they liked the fact that they could uh, be home before dark already, and so uh, that's been a blessing. I don't know that we've gotten any extra people, but we've kind of taken uh, that burden off of them for not coming because of the cold, the, the the nighttime. So, but um, anyway, we'll see how it goes. We got another week yet, and then we'll see what everybody thinks of it. But uh, looking forward to. Uh, the end of the year, I like this time of year. I love Thanksgiving time, um, love Christmas time, and um, it's uh, Lord willing, here in a few weeks we're going to uh, teach on the Tower of the Flock and, from Scripture and show that, and I uh, know a lot of our folks know a little bit about that, have heard a little bit about that. Uh, we taught it last year, and we'll maybe go a little deeper with it this year and uh, show some Scriptures about that. And, uh, boy, it's amazing how God pieces everything together just perfectly, doesn't he? And uh, it's amazing to me sometimes when you find out some of the uh, cultural and historical things that were taking place during the time of Scripture writing. It, it helps that portion of Scripture to just be very vivid in our minds to be able to see it that way through that light. And um, so I'm very excited about that. And uh, looking forward to a great time. This is a wonderful time of year, by the way. And just let me encourage you in this before we get into the message this morning. This is a great time of year and prime opportunity for us to share the gospel with folks that we're burdened about that are not saved. Especially if it's family members or friends of ours or co-workers. Um, that we have opportunity during this time of year especially. Because uh, we're, we're two different holidays here. But Thanksgiving and uh, I know that Thanksgiving was set up primarily because of uh, the things that happened with uh, Plymouth Rock and the coming to America, but the entire day was focused on giving God thanks for what uh, he had done in bringing the pilgrims here. And uh, it's important that we don't let people forget that. Uh, there's a lot of effort being given today to rewrite the history books and take a lot of our godly heritage out of our history books. Uh, it's amazing to me. I, I went to the cash register yesterday to uh, pay for a, uh, a meal. I think it was yesterday. It might have been, might have been Friday night. And a um, young lady was there, probably early 20s. And the total of my bill came up to 1776. I thought, boy, that's neat. That doesn't happen every day. I said, well, that was a good year. And she kind of chuckled and said, really? I said, yeah. I said, you know what happened that year, don't you? And she looked at it and she said, to be honest with you, I don't. And a lot of our history is being rewritten. And it's important, especially among God's people, that we express to people and let people know this time of year what these things are all about, why we even observe them. And Thanksgiving is no different. Christmas, obviously, is a great time of year. Uh, I sat in the, the living room of a man in his early 40s several years ago and for an hour and a half shared the gospel with him. And when we got to the point of why Christ rose from the dead uh, and died and rose from the dead, uh, and I said, you know why he did that, don't you? And he said, no. I said, he's doing that to pay for your sin and for my sin. And the light bulb turned on. I mean, you could see his eyes get wide. His name's Brian Maloney. I think my daughter knows him. And uh, his eyes got real wide, real big, and he's like 40-some years old. He said, so that's why he came. He said, I, I understood Christmas. 
He said, I knew the story of Christ. I understood he came, and he said, but I never knew why he came. He said, it never made sense to me. And he sat there in his living room, 40-some years old, and trusted Christ as his Savior that night because he understood for the first time why Christ came on the cross and was born in a manger. And uh, so Christmas gives us a wonderful time to share that gospel. <clears throat> and I would encourage you, if you know some family members or friends or loved ones, this time of year is a great time of year to bring up the topic and uh, discuss it. And you always want to leave the door open if there are people that are uh, aggressively and, and just angry at hearing it. Uh, you know, certainly use some discernment there and some wisdom. But certainly take advantage of every foothold, every opportunity you have to share the gospel with them. All right? Just wanted to offer that as a word of encouragement. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Second Chronicles chapter number 5. 2 Chronicles chapter number 5. And uh, we'll try to be brief this afternoon. I know some of you have not eaten yet and, and are tired and ready for that Baptist nap. Amen, Miss Evelyn. Brother Norm, I think, is uh, suffering from uh, uh, withdrawal symptoms of naps. So he, uh, I think you got to, Brother Norm and I are in full agreement. Every man that ought to have at least three naps a day, at least, that's the minimum, bare minimum. And and those naps, at least two of them, need to be taken while you're watching a John Wayne movie. And uh, so, all righty. Second Chronicles chapter number 5. We're going to read through the entire chapter. It's a fairly short chapter, so bear with me. <coughs> and uh, we'll be in reading verse number 1. Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated in the silver and the gold, and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark out of the tabernacle of the congregation. And all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, these did the priests and the Levites bring up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen, which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto, this, unto his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark. And the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof, uh, thereof above. And they drew out the staves of the ark, that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it is unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tablets which Moses put therein at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites which were 
singers, the singers, all of them of Asaph and Herman, uh, Heman of uh, Zeduthun, the, uh, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests, sounding with trumpets. And it came even to pass of the trumpeters and singers, were, uh, the, the, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house uh, was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this afternoon. And Lord, you know our hearts, and as we've already spent time this morning dealing with the absolute thrill of being able to give you thanks because of your goodness and the fact that you are good and because your mercy endures forever. Lord, I pray that you'll bless as we continue on that line and that thought, as we see the benefits of it, and I pray that you would allow us uh, to have our hearts and our minds and our eyes opened to the truth of this passage. Lord, may your Holy Spirit work and do a work in our hearts, of drawing us closer to you, and Father, that we would be uh, challenged and encouraged through it. Bless the time that we spend here together, and we ask that you bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've read here a, a story of the transition of the tab- from the tabernacle, which was a temporary dwelling that Moses was in charge of building while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. And it was a place where God had that he could reside in the midst of the nation of Israel. When they pitched camp, the tabernacle was always pitched in the middle of the uh, camp, except for a few occasions when God had the tabernacle moved outside the camp. But most of the time during the wilderness wanderings, when they would set up camp, the tabernacle would be placed in the center, and then three of each of the tribes would be around that uh, on each side of the tabernacle. And, uh, but it was a temporary dwelling. It was something they knew uh, was not a permanent place. It was something that could be moved. It was a tent structure. And, uh, but it's amazing, even in reading how the tabernacle was built, uh, how ornate it was and how amazing it was and the skills and the qualities that God gave to the workmen that did it, uh, the nation of Israel uh, certainly gave sacrificially to it and to have a place where God could reside in their midst. We fast forward a few hundred years, or a few, quite a few years, to the time of David uh, as king of Israel. And David had a burden on his heart. David wanted to build a permanent structure, a temple uh, for the Lord God and something where the tabernacle would not need, be needed any longer, but someplace that was a permanent structure and a permanent dwelling. And for a long time, God did not choose a particular city or a particular place among his people. And finally, God chose uh, the city of Jerusalem and said, this is where I want my habitation to be among my people. And David uh, began to make plans and began to gather the materials for the, te- tap, uh, the new temple to be built But God came to David and told David that he was not going to be allowed to build the temple because he had been a man of war for many, many years. And But David, because he was a man after God's own heart, uh, got permission from the Lord and was able to make all the arrangements for it, the plans and the materials that were to be gathered. 
And the nation of Israel, under the leadership of Solomon, David's son, began to build this temple. And it takes quite a few years. Uh, if you read about the description of the temple uh, in earlier chapters as they built it, uh, it's amazing to see what uh, kind of craftsmanship went into it. And this place was to be a place of magnificence and glory and honor and certainly a place to be used of the Master's use. And, and then Solomon gets to the place where the, the temple is complete, and that's where we picked up reading as he brings now the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle into the temple, and he places it in the Holy of Holies, the holy place, the holiest place. And uh, it's interesting to me that uh, he goes about it the right way. Uh, I think they had learned their lesson by this time as they had tried to transport the Ark previous to this several years earlier uh, and on a cart. And it had jostled, and if we remember um, the man who reached out and uh, by the name of Uzzah, he reached out and tried to stabilize the ark. He didn't want it to fall, and certainly his intentions were well, but God struck him dead because they weren't doing God's work God's way. And God had given very precise instructions on how the ark of the covenant was to be moved. Solomon honors that, and so we find that in the first part of this chapter. As we get down to verse number 13, <coughs> there getting ready to have a time of um, just praising and worshiping God. And can I tell you this? Uh, there's a lot to be said for uh, public worship, and I, I love the fact that we get to sing songs in our services. I love the fact that we have musical instruments with it. Um, it it's amazing to me sometimes how stirring the songs are. And there are times that before I ever, ever get up here to preach, I've already got tears coming down my face thinking and worshiping God through the music that we have here at Keith Heights Baptist Church. But can I tell you this, that our, our public worship will never be what it should be if our private worship is not what it should be. There ought to be times, and there ought to be much more time of privately worshiping God and spending time dwelling on who God is before we ever get into the public arena of worship. And, and I believe that there's a lot that goes on today publicly and openly in, in what, what many people refer to as worship that, to be honest with you, is no worship at all. It's simply putting on some kind of an act or putting on some type of a uh, uh, <coughs> presentation where people begin to uh, think of them as some Christian that's a godly person. <coughs> person. And the lack of personal worship, a lack of private worship, is, uh, is very much prevalent, I believe, in the day that we live. But uh, he's getting ready here to uh, bring the ark, and he gets the priests together. At this point, they're not going through their uh, rotation. A lot of the priests had times where they would serve for a year at a time or a few months at a time, and uh, they would go through a time and a process of serving in turn or in line. But at this point, all of the priests are sanctified. They're all able to be there and be a part of this service. All the Levites have come together, and they're there to be worshipers. They're there to sing. And to play music together. I had a men's quartet back here earlier before the church service. And we were talking about singing. And nothing wrong with putting music and sound and, and song together. And uh, they make a, a sound of unison here. It's not something that's done chaotically or in disorder or disarray. And so this, this worship is taking place. The Ark of the Covenant is being moved in a proper way. And it comes into the temple of God for the very first time. This permanent dwelling that was built just for the purpose of God residing with His people. Now look what it says here as we get down to verse number 13. And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. 
Do we see this? There are two things they were doing here. They were praising and thanking the Lord. What are they praising and thanking the Lord for? Let's look and see. Praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, now let's see this. This sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Saying for what? He is good. We heard that a little bit this morning, didn't we, already? And what else? For His mercy endureth forever. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? You think that there ought to be praising and worshiping God for His goodness and for His mercy enduring forever? Oh, absolutely. But I want us to look a little bit further here because as these priests are leading the worship and leading the, uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant into the holiest place of the tabernacle, and the Levites are singing and bringing praise to God for His goodness and for His mercy enduring forever. I want you to notice what happens here. The Bible says that then the house was filled with a what? A cloud. Even the house of the Lord. So that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the, what's the next phrase here? Glory of the Lord. Did what? Filled the house of God. Boy, what an amazing statement. The glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now, it's interesting that as the children were coming through the uh, wilderness in the Old Testament wanderings, that they were led by two things. They were led by what? In the daytime, they were led by what? What was it? A pillar of cloud by day, right? And at nighttime, they were led by a pillar of fire, okay? And both of them represented God's presence among them. And so we find here that when the Ark of the Covenant comes in and the people begin to praise and to thank God for Him being good and for His mercy enduring forever, that God's glory comes to the house of God. And the Bible says here that it fills the house of God. And it does so in a very visible way to these people because in the Old Testament... God signified it by putting a cloud in the temple that was so great that the Bible says that the priests could not even do their service in the temple because of it. That's how thick the cloud was. That's how full of the glory of God this temple was. Now, as we get to chapter number 6, Solomon begins to preach. <laughs> He's the king, but he, he, he preaches he gives a message to the people. And Solomon at this point in his ministry is a godly man who's seeking after God. And I know that while later in his life Solomon has his share of, of failures, as many times you and I do, at this point in time he was very near to God. And he begins to preach to the nation of Israel and to provide a challenge for them. About the middle of chapter number 6 he begins praying. And he prays to God for some things. And if you get time after the message, you might want to read through chapter number 6. It's, it's a, a wonderful chapter. As you hear what he challenges the nation of Israel with and as he prays and asks God for some things. But I want us, if you will, to look down uh, in uh, verse number 40 of chapter number 6. Now, my God... Let I beseech thee thine eyes be open, and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, 
Thou and the ark of thy strength, let thy priests, O Lord God, be strength. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David thy servant. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, what are the next two words? The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord, what? Filled the house. Now, we've already seen it in the cloud, haven't we? We get to chapter number 7, we see His glory coming in the form of fire, coming to burn the sacrifice. I want us to look at some things that, in the day and age that we live, we don't go to a temple anymore. After Calvary... The temple of God, the place where God resides, became what? It's no longer a physical building. Now now where's the temple of God? Okay? Somebody say it. We're, we're the temple of God, right? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be filled with the glory of God? Do you think that it's important for us to be filled with the glory of God? The book of Matthew and the uh, Beatitudes, and we get to the message uh, um, uh, that Jesus was giving there. He deals with Beatitudes, and then he gives what we call the similitudes. And uh, we we find that there there are certain things that God refers to Christians as. Uh, He refers to them as salt. And he talks about the salt losing its savor and is therefore good for nothing. Uh, he talks about it being a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. But one of the things he refers to is that we are to be a candle. And we're to give forth light unto all the house. And we're not to take and put a bushel over that candlestick to hide the light. But in that, in that passage of Scripture... He talks to the Christians, or he challenges those that were going to be uh, Christians and his disciples during that time, and he says that we need to be doing good works, and he says it this way, so that men may see your good works and glorify your what? Father, which is in heaven. There are a lot of Christians that go about doing good and doing good works that the truth of the matter is when men look at them, they laud them for their good works. What's the problem with that? The problem is they've not been filled with the glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God that comes and fills the temple. Here we find that there were some things that took place that allowed... God's glory to come into it. We find them in chapter number 5 and verse number 13. The Bible says in chapter number 5 and verse number 13, Then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. What took place right before that? Let's look at it. And it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. Praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lift up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, 
For He is good, and His mercy endureth forever. For His mercy, mercy endureth forever. What brought on the, the presence of God in this case? What, what caused the temple to be filled with His glory? Praising God for His goodness and His mercy that endured forever. In chapter number 7, His presence comes because Solomon comes and prays for God to come and fill that temple. We find that there are a couple things that you and I can do to be filled with the presence of God. The glory of God. There were times, and there's a good picture of this given in Scripture, where God's glory departed from the tabernacle or later on the temple. The Shekinah glory was not there. The pillar was not there. There were times that it was moved outside the camp. But let me ask you this question. Through all of that, was the nation of Israel still God's chosen people? Just like you and I are His child, we don't lose that. But there are times that we can lose His glory in our life. There are times that we can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit of God in our lives to the point where in the book of Revelation, chapter number 3, when it deals with the church at Laodicea, talking to believers, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Not talking about a physical door of a church building, but at a heart's door. And he's not speaking to lost people there, but he's speaking to those that are saved. Why in the world would the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, have Him on the outside. Why would He not be in the heart already? Why would He not already be communing and, and, and uh, eating and drinking with them and fellowshipping with them? Could it be that it is possible for you and I to grieve and quench the Holy Spirit in such a way that He's been pushed out of our heart? That He stands there longing to be back in? You say, how do I get the glory of God in my life? It's pretty simple. We need to be praising Him for His goodness and for His mercy. What does it mean to praise Him for His goodness? We can give thanks in private, but praise deals with something that's done publicly, isn't it? It's difficult. I, I, several weeks ago I, I mentioned something about something that was happening in my life that might be a good thing, and if it happens and everything works out, I'll come to you and let you know about it, but I was thankful for it. And that's like, kind of like saying I have an unspoken praise. You know, we have unspoken prayer requests, but what's an unspoken praise? Is that even possible? If I'm going to praise God for something, is it possible to keep it quiet? Is it possible not to speak of it? In order for us to give praise to God for His goodness... We have to verbalize that. We have to tell people about that. We have to go around and make it public. We have to give Him praise for His goodness and for His mercy that endureth forever. And the Bible says when that happened, when they began to worship God in this way, they began to praise Him for His goodness and for His mercy enduring forever. The Bible says then the glory of the Lord came and filled the house, filled the temple. 
I wonder often if God fills my life. There was a command given in the New Testament. I, I was talking to a pastor here recently, and he believes that there is no filling of the Holy Spirit, that you have all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. But the problem I have with that thought is this. While I know that He indwells me at salvation, the filling of the Holy Spirit, I believe, goes far beyond just Him residing in us. I believe there's giving Him free course and reign in our hearts and in our lives. When it says in the book of Ephesians, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. A command of Scripture is given that we are to be filled with the Spirit, then obviously it's possible that we cannot be filled with the Spirit. That possibility exists. So how do we get the Holy Spirit to fill us? How do we get God's glory, God's presence to fill us? One way that we're taught here in Scripture is by giving praise to His goodness and to His mercy that endureth forever. Something's got to happen before we can do that. Number one, we've got to be convinced of it. Are we convinced of it today? We just had a message here this morning about, oh, that men would give thanks. Oh, that we would give thanks to the Lord. For His goodness, for He is good, and His mercy endures forever. Are we convinced of that in our hearts? Here's the, th- here's the problem. Many times. Problem. I had a hard time saying problem there. Here's the problem many times. If if I'm getting up and trying to teach or convince somebody of something, and I don't believe it to be right or true, I have a very difficult time trying to convince somebody else of it. Uh, It's got to be something that grabs grabs my heart. It's got to be something that grips me. It's got to be something that I absolutely believe to be true without wavering, without faltering on it. If I'm going to stand up and I'm going to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that His mercy endures forever to them, if I'm going to get up and tell a lost person that God is not some meanie up in heaven, God is good. And He came to bring mercy to you. If I'm going to tell somebody that, I've got to believe it. I've got to know it without any shadow of a doubt. It's got to be something that I, that I anchor to. And one of the things I believe that distracts us and keeps us from going out and telling people about this goodness of our God and about the mercy that endures forever, not just for me, but even for them. The one big thing that I believe hinders us many times is because even though we have a head knowledge of it, we do not fully believe it in our hearts. We do not grasp it. It's not a part of the truth that we anchor ourselves to. Oh, that we would thank God and praise God. That we would not be embarrassed at all to walk up to somebody and say, let me tell you about my great God that I serve. Oh, He's a great God. He's a God that I can't help but say, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. He's the kind of God that I can look you in the eye and tell you without any shadow of a doubt that He came and died on the cross so that He can show you mercy that endures forever. 
But I've got to believe it. I've got to know it in my heart. It's hard to praise something that you're not believing with all of your heart. And the Bible says when the nation of Israel did this, that the glory of God filled the house. And then Solomon goes out and he starts preaching. And he starts praying. And you know what the Bible says after he got done preaching and praying? The glory of God filled the house. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to preach. And we're supposed to praise. Pretty simple. And the glory of the Lord can fill our house. You say, Brother Greg, does that mean He's going to come live in us? No, He's already living in you. If you're saved, you're a child of God, safe and secure. But you can be filled with His presence. Praise, preaching, and praying. Let's stand together with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll use the messages today. Lord, they've tried to build one on the other as far as the truth of your goodness, your mercy that endures forever. Lord, it's not something that we are just to take and to hold to our hearts and to hoard it to ourselves. Father, we're supposed to go out here and light up an entire world of darkness by praising, by preaching, and by praying. And allowing your glory to be shed to a lost and dying world. That our lights would not be a light that we have, but a light that simply reflects the glory that you've put in our lives. Father, we would be busy praising you. Lord, not being ashamed, not being embarrassed to tell a lost person how great of a God you are. A God that we love, that we cherish, that we just can't get over. We just are so excited about. Because we realize and understand we've got full belief and determination in the fact that you are good. And your mercy endureth forever. And Lord, hanging on those two facts alone should drive and and stimulate our hearts and our minds to be going out here and telling everybody we find about it. To praise you, to preach about it, and to pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless the message. Lord, we'll have just a verse of invitation. In a message like this, I don't know how people will respond, but we want to give opportunity. Because, Lord, as much as we rejoiced in the morning service, as much as my heart was stirred, and Lord, I'm so thankful and grateful for the truth that we saw this morning then, Lord, this afternoon's message is now what do we do with that truth? What do we do with it? Lord, I pray that You'd help us to give You praise. That You would help us to preach it. We'd spend time praying for it. Bless the invitation, Lord, and speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.